Hey, it's Chris, the Supply Chain Doctor and host of Supply Chain is Boring. This session is a remake of an interview I did with Richard Sharp in 2019. In part one of the interview, we learned about his background and the lessons he learned on the way to becoming an industry thought leader. Richard is CEO of Competitive Insights and active in the supply chain community. Richard, thanks for investing time with Supply Chain. Chris, I'm delighted to be here. Yeah, so Richard, I've known you for, for many years um, through just professional networking around Atlanta and, uh, and the space. I'd like to look back a few years to learn more about your career before we met, you know, specifically uh, in the operations, research, transportation, modeling space, kind of decision support systems area. I know you've been a pioneer in that space. And like myself, you're an industrial engineer, but where did you get your, your degrees and how did you get started in this space? I uh, went to the University of Florida for my undergraduate degree, and then Georgia Tech is where I did my master's work. And uh, that led right into um, working at Western Electric using uh, the training that I got at Georgia Tech. And specifically uh, at Georgia Tech, we uh, were developing the first interactive scheduling routine for the U.S. Navy. And that research that we did there was very attractive to what is now AT&T, and we applied that information to job shop manufacturing for uh, a particular problem they were having, and that's how I got into the space. Well, I look back as an industrial engineer. I, you mentioned Western Electric. Uh, I didn't realize you worked there. Is that where they had the uh, the Hawthorne effect? Was that, if you know what the Hawthorne effect is? I'm very, were? very aware of the Hawthorne yeah. effect. Uh, it was, uh, but what we were doing is, uh, at that point, is we were converting from copper cable to fiber optics. So many people don't know this, but the first fiber optic production, uh, besides a corning, was here in Norcross uh, at the Western Electric Plant. So what got you to Atlanta? Was it the Georgia Tech? Right. Um, yeah, I, when I finished my work at, at Tech, uh, I had opportunities in many cities, but the one that was most attractive to me was right here in Atlanta. And it allowed us to apply that research directly to the issue that I was mentioning and solve that. And fortunately for me, the head of that operation became the person selected to set up Bell South's supply chain. And I was one of 12 people picked out of AT&T to set that up for Bell South. Yeah, it's interesting that you talk about a company like Bell South. Most people would imagine now it's AT&T. Is that right? That's right. Most people imagine them just as a, a phone company. So what do they... What would they need a supply chain for? Well, there were no ERP systems back then. But when this, when the system, the old AT&T was broken up by Judge Green, there were 13 uh, elements of that breakup in order to uh, allow for better competition. And one of those was fair and equitable sourcing of products from vendors that were not Western Electric. And so we had to find a way to be able to, when the guy went up the the uh, telephone pole came down with a closure. It would say Western Electric one two three. Well, he was. If you're going to conform to the breakup, the law, uh, you basically had to say, well, you can buy that from Graybar. You can buy that from, and there was no way to do that. So we built a system that was pre ERP to actually comply with Judge Green's order. Yeah, built an ERP. That's old school. Now everything's pretty much out of the out of the box. Right. Well, it's interesting you talk about the telephone poles. I, I recently learned that all of those telephone poles that you see or utility poles are all tracked. I guess the, I don't know if it's Bell South or Georgia Power, but they all know exactly where they are. That's right. The age and the condition. I guess that's an asset. So that they yeah, absolutely. You have to. Like anything else. Sure. So you're you're still involved with, with, uh, with Georgia Tech, but I know 
they also do a lot of work with the uh, Department of Defense, and you were you did some work with uh, one of the defense agencies at Georgia Tech? What it was is it was a grant that Georgia Tech got in order to be able to help assist the Navy to be more efficient in the way they were having uh, coverage on the sea. So it's a little hard to believe, but at that time, they literally were moving the boats with those long sticks you see in the old movies. Yeah. That's what they were really doing. And we had a program where we would actually show them on a CRT, which was unheard of at that time. Cathode, cathode ray, mm-hmm. cathode ray tube. Is that what that is? Yeah, with a fiber optic pen, and we would literally show them the optimal way to assign the ships to coverage on the sea. And what's really interesting is the optimization. You had the constraint was you had to have coverage on the sea, right? That's that's a given, right? What we did is we maximized the time the crews had in port. So you wanted happy crews that were actually, you know, then deployed out to okay. cover the sea. So did you did you have to do a lot of field work with that? I'm just curious. No, I mean, that was all and... operations research. It was. So they provided the data for they you? They provided and, the data. And... We did all the math. We did all the modeling. Really? That's an interesting, uh, interesting project. So you're an industrial engineer, um, as I had highlighted earlier. How does that impact your view, or how has it impacted your career? Um, uh, it's been wonderful. I've really been very blessed. I'm, I'm one of those people that have always enjoyed exactly what I do. And so what industrial engineering has done with the OR is it's given me the ability to uh, really uh, help people from the technical side and from the business side communicate more effectively. Sure. So that's, that's my sweet spot is to be a bridge, if you will, uh, in helping people solve problems in that way. That's exciting. Yeah, myself, I, Richard, I started out as a mechanical engineer, but quickly realized that was too analytical for me. So industrial <laughs> engineering is where I, where I made it. Back when I was in college, they, they used to call us imaginary engineers. We, we thought we were engineers, but no, it's, you know, so I enjoy it, whether it's the, the Pareto analysis, my view is 80, 80, 20, you know, most of life is that way. So that's, that's it's exciting that I get to share some things with a fellow IE. So you were, uh, you came to Atlanta when? What was the, the time frame? You said the 90s? So yeah, I came early. up in, in 77, 78, um, and then finished my degree at Georgia Tech. Okay. And there was a lot going on around that time. It was, a, it was before my time in Atlanta, but especially around the, the uh, supply chain technology space. So right. I know, for example, the uh, Manhattan Associates was started here. Um, but there were a couple other companies, and you were involved with one of those. That's right, Caps Logistics. So where did that where did that idea originate, or what's the history there? <clears throat> Two professors from Georgia Tech started the company, and they were funding it through research grants for the Air Force and the U.S. Postal Service. And they realized that the tools that they were developing could be commercialized, but uh, basically needed assistance in doing that. So. When I left AT&T, uh, Bell South, uh, I went over to that organization to uh, become president of the organization and to help transform those tools into a commercial set of products. Yeah. So it was basically you developed a, a, a tool to solve a problem, and then it became commercial. Is that over well, time? Or? This was, what, what we really did is we took uh, a whole series of tools and put them into modules, one for network design, one for routing and scheduling, one for transportation management. And this was back when people really, you you had to explain what a network model was. Most people were still doing this on mainframe and green bar paper, 
Um, and an interesting story, the first application of a network study model was Coca-Cola Japan. And what the uh, gentleman that was running that for Coke uh, basically came from Georgia Tech, and I said to him, you know, you can do what you're doing on a mainframe uh, on a PC with a GUI interface. And, you know, people look at you like deer in headlights. You, really? You think you can make that work? So I said, I'll give you the product, use it for six months. And after that, if you don't love it, then you can just give it back. And if you do, then we'll talk about going into Coca-Cola. And they loved it. And we went into 24 countries for Coke. Interesting model. Give it to them. And if you like it, pay us. So yep. it reminds me of the, there's an old, I'm a Zig Ziglar fan. Um, he said the way you, you could sell a, you sell a horse to somebody is you give it to them for a week and just say, hey, if you like it, then you can keep it. If exactly. Back. So that he said by the time after weeks over, they fed it, they've named it. It's too late to give it back by then, so they have to keep it. Well, yeah. That's an interesting model. So they, so you were, uh, you were the founder of the company, or no? The the the, uh, the two professors from Georgia Tech were the founders. Okay, but I became president, and basically the officers reported to me, and we grew that company to service sixteen percent of the Fortune five hundred. So it was a, it was a great ride for a while. You started as an engineer, and then worked your way up, or that you started yeah, as at Cap. Yeah, no, I came in as the vice president of consulting. Uh, but within about six months, we landed that Coca-Cola deal, oh. and then I became president. So everybody was trying to figure It's kind of like the dog that chases the car, right? What happens when you get it? So. Yeah, we got it. Well, that's exciting. So why did they tap you? You just had potential in the well, right place I, I the right studied time. under these professors, and oh. and they you know they knew me, and uh, they liked what I had done for both Western Electric and Bell South, and uh, it just seemed to be a good fit. Oh yeah, so it. I guess for kids in school, it pays attend it pays to get good grades and pay attention to your professors. That's what the message I got. So. Uh, absolutely. I guess professors are people too. So there's uh, you were talking about electronic maps, and kind of like being the start of yeah. So so in addition to network modeling, the first national application for routing and scheduling software was with what was then Coca Cola Enterprises. When you're doing any form of decision support on routing, scheduling, or transportation, uh, today it's very common, but you use a digital map in order to have what is called a connected network. In other words, the math can determine how to best route a vehicle, if you will. But there were no electronic maps that were connected in those days. So there were two vendors that were actually... You mean like, like Google Maps and None of that existed. None of that existed. So there, were, there was a group called ETAC out of California that was doing it by navigational uh, um, techniques that were used um, in, in uh, various industries. And then there was another group that was doing it out of Connecticut that was using U.S. postal records, and they were digitizing maps, literally drawing them out. And, but they were not connected, and they were competitors. So we went to both of them, and we said, you have an opportunity here to get involved with this application for Coca-Cola. Will you work together? And they said yes. And that's how the first set of digital maps started to be created that have, been, of course, now exploded into many applications oh yeah now it's now it's part of uh daily life if you don't have maps on your phone or, or whatever that your, that your was the catalyst that started that really that's mm -hmm. exciting it's i didn't realize you were part of that or atlanta was part of that uh, foundation as well so who, was it that's interesting you i didn't realize the foundation at coca-cola as well well did, coke was one of our one yeah. of our um, core accounts if you will 
um, and, and really a great, great opportunity to use the technology and really mm-hmm. add value. But there are a lot of others, uh, waste management, um, a lot of uh, uh, manufacturing companies. We, we were in lots of different industries. Sure. Well, I know, I mean, I didn't attend Georgia Tech, but I know Coca-Cola's right basically on the campus. Um, right across the street. Right across the street, so there must have yep. been some connections there. So yep. what you think, was it somebody from Coca-Cola that came to Georgia Tech and said, here's a problem, or did Georgia Tech go to them? I was just curious. No, this was the, the, the entry into Coca-Cola at that time was the gentleman that was heading up the supply chain planning. He was a former Georgia Tech professor, okay. and that's how I knew him. So that's, that's the electronic maps, isn't it? And so you had mentioned, maybe just for our audience, uh, Richard, uh, network optimization or network modeling. Maybe some people won't really know what that is. Sure. What is it at a fundamental basis? <clears throat> what ne- well, let's do each. On network modeling, basically what you're doing is you're replicating the way the supply chain is working today. So where are you sourcing product? Where are you? How are you moving it? Where are you storing it? How are you delivering it to your customer? So each of those are what was called nodes and links. And basically a, a dot on a map is a warehouse. And a link is a transportation lane between that and another facility. So you create in a network model, a mathematical model, a baseline that says this is how we work today. And then you ask the, you know, once it's all established, then you say, what other scenarios could we do? Could we consolidate inventory? Could we open a new distribution center because we see this kind of growth in the southeast, you know, Atlanta area, whatever it might be. So you're using the math to help you analyze your current situation and what the future might look like if you were to make investments in other parts of the supply chain. So it's looking at the cost impacts and everything else. I guess you're trying to optimize the total cost of the supply chain. The historical use for network modeling, that's exactly what it is. But the future use will be maximizing profit. Okay, which I think will lead us into a, a future discussion. So that's good. Yeah, I know well, it's interesting. I, I teach uh, Apex classes, Richard, and uh, it, one of the concepts, you, you mentioned nodes and links. That's You know, we get into it at probably a 50,000-foot view. Mm-hmm. So anybody that's taken an Apex class will know what a, hopefully know what a node and a link is. Maybe not to the level of detail that you get into, but uh, at least understand, you know, where these concepts are applied. So you were at, at the uh, at CAPS, and you're... you're I guess your responsibility was growth of the organization. Mm-hmm. Is that so? What were some of the things that you did? Um, well, we were very fortunate. We were able to hire some very smart people. So, the first thing to do was to be able to ensure that we could manage that growth uh, in a way that was going to continue to add value, if you will, to our customers. So, my responsibility was to uh, help those people do exactly that. So. Um, R&D, marketing, sales, uh, support and training, all of those uh, functions reported to me. And my job was to facilitate and give them what they needed to make that all work. And you had mentioned uh, a couple of customers, obviously already Coca-Cola. Yep. Um, Waste management, I'm curious what, I know they have a lot of trucks running around, but what would they need help with? All right. Well, waste management is an interesting story. You know, the whole the whole uh, growth of CAPS centered around being very focused on doing the right thing for the customer. Uh, the optimization, great. The expertise was growing. The industry was getting recognized with regard to what could be done. But there are, as you solve any problem, there are different ways to do it. And there's a right way and there's a wrong way. So the waste management 
basically what they have, there's five different uh, business units for waste management. And one of them is the residential pickup of the garbage that you and I both, you know, have at our houses. So you want to route those trucks the most efficient way in order to minimize the cost associated with the operation. Well, I'll tell you a fun story. Um, how do you think they estimate the amount of time it's going to take to have a truck stop at a house? Uh, my guess would be historical performance or the amount of trees in the neighborhood amount of trees mm -hmm. because one of the biggest issues in taking out garbage is not the, not in the trash can but it's the actual amount of, of uh, debris that is it has to be picked up in certain parts of the year uh, so in terms of the in the yard waste mm -hmm. okay yeah yeah so anyway what we were doing is we were doing a routing and scheduling routine for that on a national basis so to that point that was sponsored by both the supply chain officer and the CFO the CFO came down, we were finalizing the deal to do that actual national rollout. And he had a certain way that he wanted to actually uh, manage the, the process for implementation, which would not work. And so uh, in our office, I basically said to him, what you're suggesting will not work and we will not uh, go forward with that. And he said, I'm writing you a two and a half million dollar check and you're telling me you're not going to take it. I said, that's exactly what I'm saying. And he walked out. He came back the next morning. He said, you really do believe in what you're doing. And this is the right way. I said, it is the right way. He said, here's the check. Wow. That conviction, I guess, holding to your beliefs. Absolutely. That's a compelling story. Especially, you know, more from a business standpoint as well. Well, it's interesting. You've mentioned the, uh, the yard waste and waste management. I, I, I live in Sandy Springs, and that's... Uh, I don't know if it's a, a, a Sandy Springs regulation, but they have to, waste management has to pick up our, our yard waste. Mm -hmm. so, and I know they have a limit of eight bags. So I, I, started, <laughs> I, started, I started thinking about that when you said that, that but I can, I can imagine that would be. I'm really curious, uh, maybe a different topic for a different day, but I would be interested to know, uh, because they always drive around the same day every week and mm -hmm. pick up yard waste. Yep. But not every day I have yard waste. Yeah. So, I think that's that's a potential waste. I don't know how they how do they know or I wish I could put something on my bag that said I'm here or I'm not here. Yeah, well, but it, it, <laughs> it, it, you know, in every industry, what seems fairly simple can be very complex. Sure, and that's certainly true there. I, there are lots of stories about that that rollout. Well, it's interesting. A lot of what you talk about sounds a lot like. Uh, maybe Uber, you know, they're kind of in that space mm -hmm. in terms of routing. And yep. I'm sure they've got models and data and how long it takes to pick up people, how you know busy things like that. So do you think they're kind of in that space? Oh, I'm, they're absolutely in that space. Is that what they're doing? Well, I don't know. I haven't talked to them. Yeah. But, but I will tell you that anyone that's involved in any form of transportation, whether it's long haul or local, is using some form of technology in order to be more efficient. Sure. Absolutely. Yeah, I, I know like the on the trucking the electronic logging devices and hours of service and all those things have kicked in, um, you know, last year, a couple of years ago. So right. it's had a big impact on the, on the industry overall. Yep. So what happened with, uh, with caps logistics? How, how long were you there? And I was there eight years. We, uh, grew it, uh, to 144 people. We established operations in Europe. Uh, and, um, it was, it was, it was a great ride at that point. Yeah. So you have business in Europe as well, with an office? Absolutely. Or? Well, the Coca-Cola and waste management are in Europe. Oh, are they? Oh, I, yeah. Well, I knew Coca-Cola. I didn't realize. Yeah. 
So we, we had to establish an operation there to support, you know, the implementations we did here. Thanks for listening. And remember, supply chain is boring. Yeah, Richard, I, I also noticed we talked about your, your editing and contributing author for DC Velocity, but I also did a little research and found you're a identified as a rainmaker by DC Velocity. What does that what does that represent? It's basically a recognition of people uh, in the industry that have uh, contributed in certain ways, and we were very privileged to receive that some years back.